This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. No matter how structured I, I try and make the menu and, and how I want to be, produce doesn't wait for anybody at the end of the day, so you do need to be ready to go and you do need to have ideas in the back of your head at all times so that when things you can pounce on getting the produce in and then showing the team how you want it um, prepared. This is The Luminaries on the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Sustainability is top of mind for many in the restaurant industry, but changing ways personally and for the industry as a whole seems quite challenging. But is it as confronting as we believe? How can you implement change for the better and maintain a viable hospitality business too. Kane Pollard is the executive chef of Seoul Restaurant at Sky City and co-owner of Topery in Adelaide. Kane, how are you? Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You've um, had an incredible couple of years making a real impact on the South Australian dining landscape. What's it been like for you? Yeah, it's been hell of a roller coaster um that's for sure it's been yeah 10 10 years since i've been at topiary and uh yeah the industry changed a lot and the the focus has changed a lot and uh it's been exciting to be a part of it for sure it's, it's been challenging the last two years which we can get into but your connection with produce and focus on sustainability has really been a key sort of attribute of yours where did that all begin um, I, th- I think growing up in the in the Adelaide Hills and a single mum um, and my brother, it was definitely about, you know, using what you have and what you can get, what you're surrounded by. Um, and, yeah, being part of a market gardening family, spending a lot of time in the, in the garden, helping out in the school holidays and getting that appreciation for, for planting something and seeing it grow and then harvesting it and, you know, why would you want to, why would you want to waste any of that? Use as much as you possibly can and that just naturally filtered into everyday life and then the, the commercial kitchen as well. Not everyone grows up in a market gardening family. So take us back there. Do you have any stories of what that was like? Oh, I, I think it was a it was a blessing for me, the uh, the opportunity to, to spend your school holidays in the open air. I, I remember we used to live in Piccadilly for a, couple of years and the garden was about uh, 15 20 minute ride from there and uh, yeah finishing up school and uh, jumping up in the morning and and feeling that cool crisp air about 5 a.m and jumping on your bike and riding across to to plant rhubarb pick pick rhubarb and assist the grandpa and uncle in the planting of the of the garden was was yeah just a, a really beautiful way to spend my time and uh, no, I've only got fond memories of that. It was a fantastic part of life. When did the interest in, in cooking come about for you? Um, not an overly romantic uh, beginning, I guess, in a, in a way. The, uh, it was a walking home with, with a friend of mine, and uh, he, was, he was getting into it and really loved watching Jamie Oliver do his thing and making cooking fun and approachable and bringing family and friends into the mix and, and uh, yeah, I guess showing how much fun it could be and 
how you could use, you know, simple produce and create something that really inspires people and, and uh, makes the night was, was exciting. So, yeah, that, that kind of sparked it. And then heading back to school and going to the career counsellor and asking what's, um, what should I do? What, what can I be? Being all confused and young and, and uh, yeah, surprisingly, the, uh, even though my maths grades were, were quite good and I was doing well at school, the farmer and a chef were the two top uh, choices apparently in the system. And, yeah, I think <laughs> the, the chef side of it was already in the back of my mind. So I, I decided to get a job at the local nursing home as a kitchen hand and, yeah, just that, that instant feeling of being part of, of a small team and, and feeding people and giving them happiness and, and conversing about what was going on was just, yeah, I really loved it from the start. Take us back to that nursing home. If you, if you look back, what was it like in that kitchen compared to the sort of commercial kitchens you're used to now? It, it was a relatively good setup. Um, yeah, extremely hygienic and um, the, the systems were in place. It wasn't chefs running it. It was it was mothers and grandmothers. So there was wow. Um, yeah, yeah. It was it was a really beautiful place to be. It was simple, very simple food, but nourishing. And uh, and the being in the hills, the the clientele that that were living there, uh, they they knew about local produce and they appreciated that produce. And so that's I guess what they expected to be eating at that point in their lives. So. Yeah, it was like I said, it was very simple, but home cooked style. But it was, um, yeah, it was a very wholesome place to be, and uh, yeah, I learned some pretty cool stuff there just to get started for sure. That nourishing aspect that plays a role in your food—did it begin there? I think it did. Yeah, there, and then I went to the Scenic Hotel um, when I was fifteen, and or late late fifteen, and continued with the dishes and learning more and. Yeah, still, I think anything that's that's uh, sourced locally and you know bought in whole and washed and trimmed and peeled on site, um, you, you want to use it all. And, and part of that is the the nourishing aspect of it as well, and uh, making sure you're feeling healthy and you're feeling good about what you're serving and what you're eating. And uh, yeah, those first two jobs probably shaped that. Is there any uh, ingredient or dish from that time that sort of um, flicked on a switch in your mind in regards to how to use all of all of an ingredient? Yeah, there there was a simple one, but it was a beetroot dip that was um, just whole roasted beetroots essentially with the leaves leaves on and everything, and they were they were covered over with foil, a bit of olive oil, garlic, onions, um, yeah, seasoning, fennel seeds, and yeah, it was uh, just slow roasted until tender, all, all blitzed up into one with a little bit of cream cheese, and uh, yeah, like that. That sort of started as the norm, I guess, and then moving into more commercial style kitchens, it was more about perfection and getting you know the colours right and that sort of thing. So I started to notice leaves being thrown and peels being tossed, and it sort of sparked something in me to go, oh, why? I wonder why they they used them there and they didn't and they don't use them here, but. Yeah, I was always asking that question in the early days. How hard was it in those days to go down that road when the industry was generally cutting and trimming and throwing away um, parts of the ingredient that weren't needed? Was was that a tough road for you to head down? Uh, not not at the beginning, I guess. Being 
super young and just going with the flow to start with it was I was just excited to be learning and it was something different like I, I did question it but I didn't think too deeply about it at that time um it was just about yeah doing what you're told and and uh and aiming for the finished product to be as perfect as possible and uh yeah I, I enjoyed that side of it but um but yeah it was it was a great feeling to kind of come out the other end of that come back around and start to use it all again it started to make a lot more sense and feel a lot more like me on a plate by the time it, it gets got to the customer Tell us about that moment when you did come around to that moment. What, what were you doing? And, and uh, do you have any stories of that moment where you landed there? Um, yeah, I, I got a job at the Locavore in Sterling, which when it first opened, um, it was only sourcing ingredients from 160 kilometre radius. So no, no sugar was, yeah, no sugar was used, only local honey. Um, so you're trying trying to, I guess, take the knowledge that you had and then yeah, shift it around to using different ingredients in different ways, trying to create the same textures. Um, but yeah, there we got the opportunity to to meet a lot of local growers and a lot of very small growers that would just bring in, you know, random bits on any, you know, on any occasion. And uh, also some of the forage stuff. I think growing up, um, walking through fennel on the riverside and picking blackberries was a was a standard after school stroll um kicking the footy and all of that sort of stuff as well but yeah it was it was a <laughs> didn't think too much of it at the time but i remember when a guy one of the growers bought in some honey and he also bought in a, a massive bunch of fennel fronds and as soon as that smell entered the kitchen my yeah my mind was just taken straight back and it was completely eye-opening and it, it's that incredible moment which I think a lot of people experience that you, you grow up and you, you take things for you know you take advantage of the fact that you know you you were who you were you're doing what you're doing you don't think too much about it but then you go through you learn a whole lot of other stuff but then there's this moment that you come back around and start to appreciate the early days that little bit more and why it means so much Topri is uh, where you really made a name for yourself and, and quite an impact. How, how did that all begin? Um, I, my um, partner at the time, you know, we were going to get married, but she was studying to be a teacher. She just finished studying and she was obviously going to be working more of a nine to five type role. Um, I'd done many years in the kitchens and many, many hours um, and I was hitting that point where you start to question, you know, do do I want to be doing this forever? And, um, you know, how important is career over family time and, and exploring the world? Um, and so, yeah, I, I started to look for still a, a job as a chef, but as, you know, I'm happy to take a step back and work on something a little bit more simple. Um, and, yeah, the, the Topiary Cafe, it was called at the time, um, was advertising for a, a head chef that just did light lunches and, and high teas and uh, afternoon teas. And um, I thought, look, it's a bit of a curveball, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I showed up for my interview. I walked up the, the beautiful path underneath the, the hand-painted welcome sign, and it was it was feeling good. It was feeling natural. It's nestled in a valley, so it's not, not the uh, – you know the city-bound 
gardening centre that some might imagine. It's uh, yeah, really nestled in in a gully, and it's a it's a beautiful spot. But I walked up to the door, and there's this big pink menu, and uh, <laughs> I was like, what what am I doing? Like, uh, yeah, this this is doesn't feel like the right the right path. But um, yeah, spent an extra couple of minutes walking through the fruit and veg section of the garden and saw what they had planted up in the hills, the fruit trees, a humongous fig tree that. Um, hangs hangs over the the garden center and yeah something something sparked uh, that's probably that market gardening you know start that really started to sprout inside of me and I, I felt excited to get in there and have a chat and yeah it's it pretty much worked from there well, you you went for a job there and now you're a co-owner well, tell us a little bit about the history of the venue and the and how much you changed it yeah so it's 160 year old home um, which is nestled in the nursery uh, the the current uh, for that full 160 years um, which is, is pretty pretty incredible being surrounded by that history and and uh, that love that family gives a place in the land um, yeah they so that it started off as a topiary tea house about 40 years ago where they switched it from a, a house to a, a space where they used to grow camellias, like a sunroom-type situation, and then into a, a tea tea house where they served filter coffee, um, high teas and scones. And, yeah, it, it built a name in its own right. Uh, back then it was uh, Dyer Hall, the original owner. Um, the wife of John Hall went over to England fairly often and, and loved her high tea, so she was one of the first ones to bring it back to Australia and, and uh and give it a go and it, it went well it, it it made sense in that space um the older clientele loved it and to sit there in the garden and look out at the camellias and and uh be eating off a high tea stand seemed quite ideal so yeah they they did really well with that it slowly transi- transitioned into a cafe from there um and then yeah i, I jumped in and um they wanted to add breakfast service and I was, I couldn't sit still for very long with the the current simple menu setup. So I started doing a couple of specials, um, showcasing some local bits and pieces that people were dropping in. And uh, yeah, the again, like I can't praise the older generation enough because they that's how they grew up was appreciating those ingredients and and using them every day. Um, and so they were the first ones that that tasted it, and they'd say, "Oh, this." The house-made butter tastes exactly how my mum used to make it, you know. And that that moment of baking bread and serving butter with it that was all made on site and reminded them of their childhood was um, was probably the beginning of something very special. And that's, yeah, it all kind of went from there. The offering changed and uh, you took over the venue. T- tell us about that period and yeah. what were the challenges going from chef to owner? Yeah, so I was head chef there for about a year and a half, um, and then the the owners approached myself and and asked whether I was keen to take it over. And I wasn't in a the perfect financial position to do it, so I, I said, you know, it's it's probably not going to happen. But thank you very much for for asking. And uh, I went home that night and um, went over to visit my father-in-law Pelly, who's was has been a teacher his entire life um but he was 
always excited and and uh, I felt rejuvenated when he you know, had people over and cooked food and and opened a, a nice bottle of wine or made coffee from scratch, like in the machine from scratch. And so there's those simple pleasures of food, wine, anything with unique flavor and things that he's got his hands into to make and create is what brought him happiness. And I went around to visit and he, he looked particularly gray that day, marking the marking the books at about 10.30 at night. Um, <laughs> and I thought, far out, you know, I wonder, I wonder what he'd think. And, uh, yeah, I asked him, and he pretty much said yes on the spot. So it's um, yeah, he uh, jumped into a complete career change, and um, yeah, it was it was controversial in in many ways. But yeah, he, I mean, to see him, he's he's never been happier um, being part of the team, which is very fulfilling. But um, yeah, so he, he decided as well. He made it happen, and. I basically continued with the menu in its same form for a couple of months, just doing a couple of specials just to get my head around how things worked. Um, and then slowly but surely just started shifting the menu. There was a, a chicken and tinned asparagus volivant on there for a little while, which was, uh, you know, the, the first day of taking over that was changed to a fresh asparagus and whole chicken volivant with our house-made pastry. Um, that was a change that was was a bit of a defining moment, I suppose. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and then it it kind of just kept snowballing from there. Like I said, the bread and butter thing, the yeah, the appreciation started to grow, and the clientele started to be more willing to take risk. And yeah, they 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 went on the journey with me. I took it took it slowly to start with. It was probably two or three years in total of. Um, of that transitioning period and still doing high tea in the background. But eventually, yeah, the, the lunch crowd and the breakfast crowd were um, much more strong than the afternoon tea and high tea crowd. And so it was got to that point where we had to consider what to do. And uh, yeah, COVID pretty much made that decision for us. And it was a bit of a blessing in disguise in, in that weird way. But um, yeah, we started rolling with, tasting menus and a uh, more interest more interesting a la carte option and yeah it started to gain some traction it probably gained a bit of traction before covid but the, the final decision of getting rid of high teas and really jumping in the deep end was moment so yeah what sort of role did the community and connection play with this transition oh like a hundred percent of the inspiration came from the community and the connection um I think being in a, in a tea tree gully, it's a relatively small historic town. Um, there's people that would come through every day or every week. Um, yeah, and bringing in the the random bits and pieces of produce, small amounts, was, was a really huge part. Starting to go to the market every Sunday and connecting with those growers and, and getting our fruit and veg from them and hearing their stories and how things are grown and, and how they, you know, what they believe in and the way that it should be grown and nurtured. Um, yeah, all, all of that started to contribute to the, the whole ethos of the place and it started to become its own beast and take on a personality of its own and, and people started to get to know it for for those reasons and that just made it even more fulfilling and exciting to be there 
uh, on the pass, plating up, prepping every, every day. Yeah, it's great. Are there any uh, producers of that region that you can tell us about that you connected with? Oh, yeah. Um, so many. I guess the one of the original protein suppliers that we connected with was, was uh, Nature's Chicken, which is Kerry. He grew up on a – his family's apple orchard and then took over the apple growing business. And, um, yeah, he decided to to try something new and invested in the – the chicken set up and had the chickens roaming the orchards, uh, yeah, every day. So the, I guess we we created a dish around him using the the whole chicken and the apples that he grew, and um, yeah, that yeah that that storytelling side of it and that connection started to become a really huge part of uh, we got out. The more we connected with those producers and growers, the more the menu evolved and the more meaning I think it had and then the customers connected with it even more and felt, you know, like they were getting more than just a meal out of a visit to the Topri. Can you tell us uh, about this chicken dish that you created that, that honoured that? Oh, yeah. It was uh, had a sour chicken glaze, so we juiced the, the more sour side of the apples, um, added that to the chicken glaze and then just did a whole roll basically minced the thigh and made like a sausage farce and rolled it up yeah rolled it up with the breast and um then wrapped it all up in the skin and cooked it sous vide just to get that texture right and then finished it in a high heat oven just to crispen up that skin on the plate with the glaze and then the, it was one of those dishes that the key components stayed but the accompaniments changed as the season changed i think we went through you know asparagus in late spring and yeah just sort of moved through the seasons and added and subtract components of the apple what sort of impact did this dramatic change in direction uh, have on you i think it's something that i was always searching for i think most chefs that want to to get to, to a head chef role or want to run their own kitchen are you constantly asking yourself you know, without sounding too cliche, but who am I? And like, uh, you know, why why am I here? And what what am I trying to prove? What am I trying to create? What what makes me feel good when I serve it? And um, yeah, that 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 did that for me. It was yeah, it gave gave the food meaning. It was flavors that worked. It was visually appealing, but it went deeper than that. And to talk directly to the customers about how that dish came about gave started to give me the confidence to go out and talk to the customers and really, you know, not, not say, you know, the, this is from here. That's how we produce that. That's, that's how it's cooked. That's how it's prepared, but more so like, why is it there? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was an exciting time. This episode of the luminaries on deep in the weeds is proudly supported by deputy helping managers and staff do their best work. Hospitality is where Deputy was born. (laughs) This is the industry we have pledged to help thrive. Hospitality thrives with Deputy because of the great people management we bring through easy rostering, timekeeping and communication. And that's just the start. We're innovating with so many new things that I believe 
that we will make hospitality thrive even more than it did before the pandemic. For more information, go to deputy.com. You're also executive chef of Seoul Restaurant at Sky City, which is um, quite different to Topri. Uh, are there similarities and um, within the roles? There wasn't to start with. Um, it's been a, I've been there a year as of yesterday, um, which is which is exciting. But the um, I think the team I had at Topri ranged from or range from currently. So the Alex, who's heading it now for me, is, has been there for nine years. Um, Lee's been there for eight. Ash has been there for seven, and then Roger's been there for six. So the, the four chefs that that were part of that crucial last five years where we started to to rank and we started to be discovered, um, we're all there then, and they're all still there now. And I, I think that's the key to to a successful restaurant is time and and in my eyes in my eyes is is time and and building a team that are just as passionate as you and yes a brand new restaurant on top of a incredible wavy gold building with a a melting melting pot of of uh, team members from some local some from all over the world or the, the country um, was definitely a challenge for me um, at the start, but over the past year they've started to understand the way that I I like to run my kitchen, and it's it's not in a harsh way. It's uh, I don't yell, I don't swear, I don't get angry. It's it's more about listening to their thoughts on a dish and allowing them to contribute as much as possible, as much as they want to, um, and and listening to that and. Yeah, letting that help steer the menu in a certain direction because if they're not passionate about what they're producing and what they're plating, then the end product's not going to be where it needs to be. How much has uh, has it changed uh, since you're in your time there over a year? Yeah, it went through about probably three stages and we've just hit stage three a couple of months ago. So the, the first stage I think was trying to take what I created at Topiri to Seoul. Um, but the team were different. The clientele were very different. And, yeah, the, the whole structure of the place was obviously very different. So um, I thought I was going there to, to do exactly that. But it it uh, I worked it out pretty quickly that that's, that's not going not gonna to work. So um, keeping the, the ethos and the the drive, original drive intact. Um, I spoke to a few people that had come up and one person in particular just said, it's not you on, on a plate. Like I, I made, made some changes from that original format to still use locals, still use it all, um, still make sure that was at the core of it. But the, the the use of higher end products, I guess, was was not who I was, and they could feel that on the plate. So that was a really powerful moment. Um, so I, I made the decision to to just go back in a way to where I started, but polish things a little bit, I guess, and put a little bit more time into 
the development of each dish rather than it being a topiary, a very off the cuff. This this is just a rocked up on the doorstep. Let's serve it. Um, so yeah, a little bit more structure, a little bit more playing around with the flavors and the and the plating and making sure it could be executed in that environment. Um, yeah, and I think we're we're just getting there now, which is very exciting. Is is there a dish or two you can tell us about that sort of exemplifies this shift? Oh, the crab crumpets definitely a a world favorite, but I think the the plating was was something that was interesting and and something that was a little bit different. So it's yeah, we make our own crumpets obviously on site, and then have the picked blue swimmer crab meat with some chopped green tomato um, and a smoked tomato um, mayonnaise, holding it all together. Um, that's piped onto the crumpet, and then we've got daikon radish or some ice crossing it at the time whether it's um and that's been so chiffonade down and then sliced again into sort of half size matchsticks so it looks like icicles covering over the, the whole thing um then we make a, a shell butter sauce out of the the bisque base so that, that was like a s- simple transition type dish that that made sure we were using each part that um yeah just looked a little bit more high end I guess, than, than the garden-to-table type food I was serving at Topiary. There's a huge staff shortage right across Australia at the moment, uh, but you mentioned you've held on to key um, kitchen staff at Topiary over many years. What's the secret to holding on to good staff like that? I think, I mean, the, the surrounds are stunning. Uh, being completely surrounded by the seasons and being able to literally walk out the front door and pick your garnishes each day uh, is a, is a fantastic way to start the day. Um, but that, I mean, that can be done in other kitchens. So I, I think predominantly it's the, the evolution of the place and always moving forward. Um, the, the thirst for knowledge, I, I think the, the need and the want to learn how to get back to basics in, in making cheese and, and curing and things like that was was a passion that came up throughout a few of the chefs. So that's a direction that the menu took. And I think uh, allowing them to, to be a huge part of the menu writing process and the, the trial and error period um, is great. And then, yeah, just treating people with respect. I think the uh, obviously the a lot of kitchens over – many years have, have been harsh ones to work in and um, you know that can teach you some valuable lessons as well um, we treat you um, seeing you spend just as much time with them and and giving them a say is, is a huge part of being a chef these days or just in hospitality in general What surprised you about this big role that you've taken on at Soul Restaurant? Um Oh, being in the city is a is a very different feeling. I think the uh, the opinions are harsh sometimes, and they were when we, when we first opened. Yeah, and and talking with the with the customers about you know what what did they expect and what what don't you understand and and how can I you know assist <laughs> in the education side of it to try and try and help it make sense but yeah the, the the process i guess and and the original finding your feet stage um 
was full on and uh yeah but I'm I'm glad we got we got through it. It was a test of character for not only myself but for the team as well and we we got through and yeah, hitting our first birthday yesterday it was a big round of applause at briefing and, and uh, very proud of what we've achieved so far. What do you love about what you do at the moment and the, the changes that you've had in regards to your own uh, career? I think that the test of using it all on a large scale um, with a with a limited team uh, has been has been a huge part of it. The uh, I think looking back at how hotels were run um, many years ago with a, a bush a butchery area, sorry, and a fishmongery area, and you know receiving cool rooms that were washing and processing vegetables as they arrived from the farms. Um, sort of then the world transitioning into this buy-in backpacks of pre-cut meats and pre-peeled potatoes. Um, so tr- trying to bring back some of that uh, has been has been a huge part, a, a proud moment, I guess, of being there because that's, that's what I envisaged going there to do. And um, I'm excited and proud of the fact that everybody's dug deep and We've managed to stay true to that now. Soul Restaurant isn't um, as surrounded uh, by local producers like Topiri, but have you made new connections with producers in this role? Most definitely. The um, the producers that we have been using for many years, um, I've got them on board straight away, and and the feeling of um, purchasing, you know, a hundred kilos of something as opposed to ten is a is a really cool really cool feeling of support um so that those producers are still there um and being more and where we can get it from as well a lot of the smaller growers across in the flurio didn't didn't deliver to um the northern side over at tea tree gully so we sort of we used what we could there which was what helped shape what it is, but yeah, here the the options are endless as far as local produce goes, and the the quality of seafood, particularly, and the the vegetables that are being grown on a small scale, um, are incredible, and it's it's been great to be able to keep ahead of the game seasonally and get in touch with the suppliers and make sure we could get a good amount of of whatever it was that's coming into season and and utilize it to the best of our ability. Is there any new producers um, that you can tell us about that you've made these connections with? Um, oh, I've had Adam from Westside Mushies on before. Um, he's 12 kilometres from the city centre, so you know, getting getting mushrooms from a very close proximity was was very exciting, and that made our first menu, which was great. Um, yeah, he's he's very new and up and coming, which is fantastic to see with different varieties and that sustainability edge really starting to jump in on the growing side of it as well um yeah the dairyman in the barossa is is one that we weren't able to connect with originally and his um his cream his pure cream is is incredible so yeah there's, there's awesome new products having run a very small venue and a really large venue, what sort of advice uh, do you have um, for 
potential new uh, owners or operators about uh, running different size venues? Um, yeah, organisation and uh, having a team that are willing to to just jump into you know change is is extremely important. Um, no matter how <laughs> structured I I try and make the menu and and how I want to be produce doesn't wait for anybody at the end of the day so you do need to be ready to go and you do need to have ideas in the back of your head at all times so that when things you can pounce on getting the produce in and then showing the team how you want it um, prepared but yeah the organization is is huge and it's something that was very off the cuff at Topiary and it was a, a thrown in the deep end type situation of doing a hundred covers and uh, seven to ten plates per person with a with a team of six. Um, yeah, you, you need to have it sorted and orchestrated and firm in the mind of how how it's going to run. So be be confident that it it can be done. It's been a pretty turbulent period of time. What, what sort of positives have you taken from this period, and and what are you looking forward to as we move uh, forward? Uh, I'm looking forward to contributing to the industry in a different way. I think the um, yeah, I've been very fortunate to to have a year of of, um, of positives, which has been incredible. Even though there's been some some downs as well, but the um, the positives have outweighed it for me this year, which has been great. But um, trying to trying to use that that point that I'm at now to to contribute back to the industry and and help others where I can um, get involved in the sustainability aspect a little bit more and um, help help guide other restaurants and chefs and, and owners. Uh, well, Kane, we've absolutely loved having you on the luminaries today on Deep in the Weeds. Um, your future is bright, no doubt. You've had an incredible period of time and a lot of acknowledgement and, and awards. Um, look forward to seeing what you do next. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much for having me on. Cheers. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.